the most successful people in the world are helping other people get what they want and that gets them what they want right so if you view the world that way and that's definitely the it, you know a guiding light for me is that we don't i mean you know this right amongst the business and the team like there are no secrets there's nothing proprietary i will tell people exactly everything that we've ever done because i hope that they can duplicate it themselves and it's not because i'm threatened by them them taking business away from me or competing with me that, that has nothing to do with it i want them to duplicate what we've done and grow it bigger and better than we ever did Dylan Nonaka, how are you? I am very good, Jill. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks for being on Beyond Boundaries. Um, so Dylan, just for the people who don't know you, I'd just like to share a little bit. You are a real estate superstar. You have a massive real estate team in Hawaii, and now you are um, expanding out to the mainland as well, to some other states. And your business is booming, and you've just, you're a, you're a great father awesome husband. I know your wife and your kids and I just love you to death and you just, everyone that's around you just absolutely loves and adores you and you're such an inspiration. So I am so happy that you're on the show. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, um, let's just dig, go right to the beginning if you're okay. Like what this show is all about is we want to show people that there a lot of people have hardships and difficulties and they weren't just always handed things. I know you weren't handed this real estate business. Nobody gave you this massive team. Nobody handed you success. You built it from the ground up. And let's just talk about like Dylan as a child and and what your family like life looked like a little bit. Absolutely. So I was born and raised here in Kona. My mom moved here in the late 70s from uh, upstate New York. So she came here like many people do. And I think you can also agree with this, like, you know, came to the island and was just felt like this is where she belonged. And so she kind of came and never left. She came and went back and packed up all her stuff and drove her Jeep across the United States and then shipped it here. So she, and then she met my dad, who it was a third generation um, Japanese coffee farmer. So he, his family had been here for a while and they had my brother and I, and that relationship didn't last very long. So when I was like five, they got divorced. They're, um, you know, two of the, uh, two people I love the most in the world, but they're very, very different people. And so it's just funny that um, they were never compatible. I think that was, you know, the, the, the best thing they did was just pick my, my brother and I. So I'm grateful for that. But after after that, you know, it was a typical childhood in, in a, you know, a split household. We would go back and forth. They didn't have a great relationship, but my grandma was an integral part of that my dad's mom you know in the japanese culture i mean nothing is is more important than your grandkids and your family and so my grandma was really somebody that was important in our life because she had no other focuses no hobbies like she just helped raise her grandkids and we were a huge beneficiary of that so although my mom was a single mom that like struggled to make it here in hawaii um she always relied heavily on my grandma and my grandma was always a support system to her even though you know she wasn't her daughter our, we, we were what came first in, in her life and so um you know th that really became full circle because at the end of my grandma's life my mom stopped working and helped be, be a, uh, was a caregiver to her so that's the kind of connection that they had all the way you know right to the end which i'm always grateful for and 
so yeah, growing up, it was, um, we kind of went back and forth. Um, I, my mom struggled to, to make it. I mean, I, I watched her and I probably got my work ethic from watching her and my dad just go to work every day, right? A lot of times, like, no matter what you tell your kids, it's what they see is what you, em you, you, you emulate. And so I remember growing up, you know, being young and my mom would always have roommates because rent here was expensive. And, you know, the roommates would help kind of raise my brother and I, where my mom would leave early in the morning and do prep cook at a restaurant, come home, get us ready for school, drop us off, go back to work at a, you know, waitressing somewhere, come back, pick us up, get us fed to bed and then go back to work at night to do something else. And so that was kind of most of our, our childhood growing up. And she, kind of rose through the ranks in the in the food and beverage industry and and by the time I was in high school was like a food and beverage manager out at out at the the resorts um but still worked worked a ton right I mean I always saw her get up and go to work and and always we barely made it right it was a kind of like no matter where we were in life it was like we were barely making it we could do you know I think she took us to the mainland twice in all the years growing up and that was like a huge deal to save up that money and max out the credit cards to do that to visit her family and stuff um but it was a great childhood. I mean, like I, you know, I was I was never abused or like anything weird never happened. I mean, my um, but but it was a struggle. I mean, we never had. You know, I look now at the, the blessings my kids have, and and you know, we never know. You don't know what you don't have. I think growing up when you're in that situation, so we were always we were always comfortable. We were always fed. We never went hungry. But looking back, I, and I, I clearly remember, um, and I guess it's like the next start. Part of this story is 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 in the in the marines at boot camp i remember just reflecting like i don't know a weekend and like after going through kind of that first week and how hard it was like 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 literally crying and like like be in gratitude for all my mom did because up until that point i took it for granted right i didn't know how hard she worked and, and all the stuff that she did to, to help get us to that point and so um yeah that was i mean that was childhood pretty much it was pretty pretty standard um i worked on a ranch growing uh, in, in high school, which taught me a lot of stuff about life and work ethic and gave me a lot of responsibility. As just a kid in high school, we helped uh, run the water system for like a 10,000 acre ranch. And that was a great mentor that I had in my life, um, you know, male mentor that 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 um, was the head of a construction company and and really instilled a lot of things in me and taught me how to be a like a, a man. You know, I could I learned how to do plumbing and learn how to do uh, carpentry and fencing and, and stuff like that. And so um, I never really had a plan on what to do next after high school. But that's when I decided that I didn't want to go to work and I didn't really want to go to college. I didn't, definitely didn't have the money to go to college. And so I ended up in the Marine Corps and that was the next, um, the phase of my life was was joining the Marines. I never had a dream to do that. And my mom's brother had been in the Marines for 30 years. And so when he heard that I was thinking about joining the service, he, he was like, there's only one service he's gonna join as the Marines. So he sent the recruiter specifically to come talk to me, pulled me out of class one day and, um, Signed me up. They didn't put a lot of thought behind it and uh, <laughs> signed me up when I was a senior. And three months after I graduated high school, I was in boot camp. And uh, that that was kind of the end of childhood, I think, at that point. So when you were in boot camp, did you ever think, what did I do? Why did I every, do this? Were you every every day. Yeah, it was not easy, right? It's yeah, it's it's and, and that was but again, another blessing in life that wasn't intentional, but you don't, I mean, when you're, when you're put into that hardship every single day and you're tested mentally, it really helped me out in the rest of my life and everything that I did, not just the boot camp part of it, but then really the Marines are four years of, of building a, a hard mindset and a hard body and um, learning leadership. And that was probably the most 
important educational period in my life where that has benefited me more than college has or any previous job that I've had because it really set me up to have a mindset of putting things into perspective. And I always joke, I joke about this, but I'm 100% serious is in life today, my outlook is very simple. If I don't get shot at, it's a good day, right? Like once you've been shot at, you've never, you, you cannot let the small stuff it doesn't matter to you anymore. So if somebody treats me bad or some, you know, deal falls apart or an agent leaves or whatever it is, like it's all very inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. If you just put it into that perspective. And that's how my time in the Marines ended was during the invasion of Iraq. I mean, timing is everything, right? And I, I joined the Marines in 99 when it was like totally peaceful world. We haven't had any conflict in 20 years. And then um, 9-11 happens. And we watch, I watched from my barracks room, the, the planes hit the tower and, um, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, th things changed. And then in, in January of 2003, we were sent, we were the desert fighting regiment of the Marines in 29 Palms, California. And so they sent us to Kuwait to sit in the desert. And, you know, when the saber rattling was happening and all the threats with Saddam was happening, they put us 25 miles from the border. There was like seven, I don't know, 7,000 of us or whatever there in, in, in tents. And we basically sat there for two months in the desert with no communications with the outside world, wondering what was going on. And we just trained and waited. And then one day they sent us up to the border and the next day they said, you're going. And that's how, that's kind of how Iraq started. And um, so I, I was there during the fall of the, the, the statue, like everybody saw on the news. I was like a block away at the, at the Ministry of Oil building. And my time in the service was ending in, in September. And so this was, this was like in March. So in, in July, everybody who was starting to, um, they call it ETS, right? Your end of, your end of service when you're getting out, they sent us home early. The rest of my unit stayed there. And I basically got out, you know, I came home in like July, turned all my stuff in, in August. And I got out in, in, in September, there was no like out processing or this is in the very beginning, right? So it's a very different world. And, and they just basically sent me home. And, um, then I went to, I, I met my wife during that period and we've been together ever since, but that's when I started college and went to UH Hilo on the GI Bill and transitioned into that, that, the next phase of life, which led me into working in politics. So I always kind of thought that's something I was, I would be interested in. So in, in college, I got involved in student government and that led to getting involved in kind of state government and lobbying on behalf of the, the, the college that I was going to. And that led to a job in the governor's office, which I did for three years after college, which led into um, some consulting work that I did for campaigns. And I ran a congressional campaign and helped with, with different uh, state and county federal campaigns. And I did that really for, that was kind of like a 10 year period of my life. And then in 2015, um, it just wasn't, I wasn't seeing the level of success I felt like I needed to, to justify the time and effort that I was putting into it. And I did some reflection on what I was going to do in life. And it's kind of a weird story, but my, my mom asked me if I would ever, I got my real estate license when I was in college to help her out part-time, didn't really take it seriously, didn't really do a lot of it. And she um, asked me if I would get back into real estate at that point, or if I ever considered it. And I told her no. And then I went home that night and I was watching TV with my wife and she's like, Hey, everything about doing real estate again. I think, you know, it'd be good. You don't have to, get, I don't want you to get a real job. Cause I never had, a, I was kind of like a consultant and, you know, I never had like a nine to five job up until that point in our life. And I was like, did you talk to my mom? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, that's not a coincidence that two of the, you know, the, the, the most, two most important ladies in my life said the same thing. I was like, you know what? I'll just do the classes to reactivate my license. And so I did. And that was the start of all of this. So it was like very unintentional, very not planned. And, uh, it, 
it kind of ended up working out. So that was 2015, the middle of 2015 when I came back to real estate. Well, that's how things work, right? You're very, the most unplanned plans end up being the best sometimes. I've learned that. I've, I've learned that the, yes. the, the, the best way to make decisions is just say yes to the opportunity that's in front of you, right? And don't overthink Absolutely. it. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, it, you've always been driven by success, right? You always wanted to be successful. Is that true? Is, does that go back way back for when you were young or? Yeah, yes. The, the origin of that, I've given this some thought lately and I'll share um, something I heard recently that really embodied this. But I always go back to my mom. My mom, for whatever reason, would tell my brother and I we were the best every night before we went to sleep. And it was like, it was just her thing. And I didn't know what that meant, but it brainwashed me from when I was a kid to believe I was the best. <laughs> right? so, and I think, and I, and I can't, I took that for, for granted, but I look around, you know, at folks that have so many self-confidence issues, really that's instilled by their parents. Right. And it's like something as simple as just saying those three words before you go to sleep at night is like, can really program your kid to be very different, I think in the outcomes. And so ever since I was a kid and, and, and from like, I don't, I don't think it was like a, like a, like a conceited thing, but I just always wanted to be the best, right? So whether I was playing baseball or getting grades in school or whatever it was, like I always just tried to do, do my best to be the best I could possibly be at it. And that's really been a driver in my life ever since was like, even in the, in the Marines, I just wanted to be the best private I could possibly be. So then I could be the best corporal I could possibly be to be the best sergeant I could possibly be. And so that that's kind of how I approached my time in the Marines, just do the best you can and wherever you're at and it'll lead to the next thing. And same thing in the political world. Like I just wanted to be the, the best political operative I could be. And that would lead to new opportunities. And then when it came to real estate, it was the same thing. Like I just wanted to be the best agent I could be the best partner. I could be the best team leader I could be. So it wasn't really a plan or like a clear vision on what to do. It was just like, I'm just going to try and be the best at whatever I'm doing at the time. And, I just saw a thing that really hit me hard about the infinite versus the finite game. And a lot of people view that life as a finite thing. Like I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to get this next promotion or I want to make a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. They have this finite goal, which when you get there, you either find out that it's really not as important or as, as you know, uh, it's not as big of an accomplishment as you thought it was going to be. Or you just plateau. You get there and then you and then you regress because you got there and in your mind you say, okay, I'm good. I made my hundred. I made my six figure income and I'm good. Or I, I lost the ten pounds. I'm good. And you gain it back, right? And so, the idea behind it is, is if you view the world as a finite world, that's the loop that you get stuck in. Where if you just view life as an infinite game, like success is infinite, right? If you if you just continue to strive towards success, it'll it, the, the goalpost will keep moving. You're never ever going to get there, but you're going to keep going in the same direction, and I never thought about it explicitly in those terms. But when I heard that that discussion, it was on a podcast or something. I was like, that 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 is really a good way to just button it up and make it, you know. That's and that's the way I see like like health is another one, right? Health is an infinite game. It's not like you have a a, a goal to do X, Y, or Z. Like you have to, your goal is to stay healthy for as long as you can, possibly into the future. And it applies to relationships, right? The goal is not to get married. The goal is to stay married forever, right? Or or, or be a good friend forever, or whatever it is. And so. Think of, think of life as a finite game and it makes that, you know, all easier to kind of wrap your head around, I think. Yeah. Like I, I love the concept of setting goals every single year, set a goal, but 
then what happens when you hit that goal? Like I always say, set that goal really high and do more and more and more every single year and push yourself. Don't, don't set, you know, they, they have all the smart goals, make sure they're realistic and all that, but why not just push yourself just a little bit more. And then when you hit that goal, make it even harder next year. Yeah. And so you've been so good. When I think of Dylan, I think of discipline. So you are extremely probably the most disciplined person I have. Yeah, seriously, the most disciplined person I've ever met. When you say you're going to do something and you you do it like there is no wavering. And um, what does your day look like from the day time you wake up in the morning and and tell us? what that looks like. Well, well the, the, the foundational principle be, behind it is discipline equals freedom, right? I love that, just a Jocko Willick saying, and the idea behind it is people think of discipline as like something that's bad and uncomfortable and it makes your life harder, but really if you're disciplined, it gives you more freedom, right? So if you're disciplined in your diet six days a week, you can have all the freedom you want one day a week. Or if you're very disciplined in your relationship and you're faithful to your spouse, you can have the freedom to have a, a happy, long relationship with that with that person. And so you can apply that to really anything in life is if you're disciplined with your finances early in life, you'll have way more financial freedom later on in life. And so if you think about it as a function like that, then it then it makes sense. But for me, like I I just try and create super predictable routines that don't allow me to stray from. So it looks very disciplined, but it's to me very simple. Like I just for years have gotten up at 445 and do 30 to 40 minutes of exercise. Like it's a non-negotiable thing that just happens. I get up at 445 every morning. I just do it. And once you kind of start doing it, then it's like, I don't have to find like extra time or work it in or be inconvenienced. It just happens every day. And then the same is true of the rest of the work week where it's just, I have dedicated time for a new agent meeting or I have dedicated time for lead generation or a dedicated time to make videos for marketing. And if you just respect the calendar and your, the promises you make to your own calendar, then it all becomes very easy. And then the results, when there's predictable inputs, there's always going to be predictable outcomes. And so that's pretty much it is my day is very, very boring. Like I don't have a chaotic life. Like I know exactly what I mean at any time block any day of the week if you ask me what I'm doing like I know what that is I know what it is going to be next week and the week after and the week after and the only time that's disrupted is maybe by travel and stuff which that's kind of the way I, I view um rest days and and you know cheat cheat times in my life is if I live the majority of my life disciplined you know if I live a month disciplined and I go on a trip for a week then I mean, maybe I don't exercise every day and maybe I do eat you know worse than I would normally eat and I would have more fun and stay up later than I normally would. But it's okay because I put in four weeks of time where I wasn't doing that. Right. I don't have any guilt over that and it doesn't affect me. And so that's kind of the way I see um, the way to just create discipline is just to create routines and be very keeping, keep promises to yourself. Right. If you, if you say you're going to do something, nobody else can count on you if you don't count on, you can't count on yourself. So. I love that because there's so many people that are extreme um, with discipline and they don't take that time to have the freedom to do what they want. It's that's it. Like it's black or white. And mm -hmm. if they fall off one day, 
they're just they're they're done. They they're they're beat themselves up. They're not forgiving to themselves. And you don't have that outlook. You kind of reward yourself. You know, you celebrate those wins by being disciplined all the time. And it works. Yeah, totally. yeah. Like there's no right like when it comes to especially like I use the exercise routine as the biggest one is there's zero rest days. So like if I'm at home in my normal routine, it's seven days a week. And then sometimes it's twice a day if I go to jujitsu at night and stuff. But that's just how it like, that's okay. Because I know in the first week of October, I'm going to go to Vegas and I'm going to spend four days in Vegas, eating way too much, drinking too much and having too much fun. But I'm paying for that now, right? I'm, I'm putting deposits into the bank account now. So <laughs> I, I can withdraw when we go to Vegas in a, in, in a couple of weeks. So that's a very healthy way to look at it. I think it is. I, so. I, I like it. <laughs> it's, you know, being in real estate, majority of people in in our industry don't have any kind of discipline. They wake up in the morning and they have no idea what they're doing. They look at their calendar. Either they have like a, a lunch date with a friend set up and then they sit, spend like four hours scrolling on Facebook. And for them, they're calling that marketing. I don't know what they're looking for, but there's no discipline. There's definitely a difference between the people that are disciplined and the people who are not disciplined as far as success goes, from what I've experienced, 100%. 100%. Yeah, you have to follow a calendar. And if your calendar is not full, then you're not going to be successful. It, you have to try to fill up that calendar. So, um, and it's, you know, as a leader in the industry, you can you can try to tell your agents, this is this is what works, but not everybody follows it. And if they would just make a couple little tweaks in their schedules, they might be a little bit more successful. But I've also found, I mean, we can tell, 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 but going back to like the example of my mom and my dad working, like I just try and set the example, right? And it's like, I can tell you all day long, but if I'm not doing it and leading from the front and actually setting the example, then it really doesn't matter. And so that's another piece, I think, that if we go back to the real estate and the success and everything else, that's a, because I've been reflecting on this lately, um, you know, what, what are the key ingredients? And, and one of them is too often leaders preach, but they don't practice, right? Like they'll tell you what to do, but they don't actually do it. And so that was, and that's a, that's a, a, a Marine leadership philosophy is, is you never ask somebody to do something you're not willing and capable to do yourself, right? So if you haven't done it already, or you're not willing to do it yourself, then you shouldn't tell people to do it. And if you're not living that example every day, how can you expect anybody to follow you? And, and this is why you have grown such a large committed team your team is just grows and it's just growing and growing and growing and they're just attracted to your leadership and so it's been proven how long have you had this team like four and a half years now so we came to exp in in january of 2019 so like december of 18 but like january we actually got here in 19 and it wasn't all of i mean it wasn't all of a sudden that's a big one is is it's been it's felt like a slow grind. Like when somebody looks at it from the outside, they're like, oh, this is amazing. You have so many people and you're doing all this stuff, but they don't really see the, you know, for year, year one, I think we ended the year at nine agents. I mean, it was really my brother and a couple of friends and then a, a couple of more friends joined and it was nine agents. And then year two, it was 20. And then at year three, it was, it was 50. And then year four is really, so, so again, consistent inputs and processes and systems just led to a duplication year after year after year. But it wasn't like it happened all of a sudden. And, and yeah, maybe four years seems like a long time, but it's, it seems like a short time, 
but it's not when you're in it every single day grinding trying to make it happen and so yeah it's not a you know and 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 all of that came from um and i did a talk recently i joked about it's like a 20 the 20 year overnight success right everybody looks at it and says oh you must have just gotten lucky i had this overnight success but it's a it's a culmination of 20 years of learning through failure and other processes and other industries and um and definitely from the from the leadership side of it i mean the marines were important but i never discount my time working in politics because that is probably the craziest place you can be a leader in because you have people with crazy self-interest lots of ego-driven folks mm -hmm. um a lot of times it's a volunteer industry. So when you're running political campaigns and doing those kinds of things, these are volunteers that you can't direct what to do. You have to inspire them to get them to do stuff because there's they're not on your payroll. <laughs> you can't direct them to do stuff. And so, yeah. So although the you know the four years of the real estate thing seems quick and it seems you know um, impressive to me, um, it's it's taken a long time to get here. A really long time. <laughs> well, from an outsider's perspective. Um, it's very impressive what you've done, what you've created. And people don't see the behind the scenes stuff, right? The stuff you see on social media and the numbers you see that are reported from a production standpoint, like that stuff's all impressive, but you don't see, like, I, I mean, the first two years, I, I spent a lot of my own money building systems, processes, investing in software, investing in leads. Like it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't like it was making a lot of money. And it really wasn't until like midway through year three when financially it became, um, it, it started to make sense. But that was all driven also by late nights. I mean, I, I, I don't do it anymore, but I remember, you know, after the kids went to bed at 8.30, I would go back and work for two or three hours and build out a new system or figure out a new lead funnel or figure out an email campaign or figure out content. I mean, like it was, there was a lot of times when it was working all day, taking the afternoons off with my kids and then going back to work at night. But the investment, again, the discipline, right? That the investment in all of that stuff has led to all of these systems that now can support a hundred agents and bring a new agent in and with very minimal one-on-one -on -one training can be successful because they have all of these processes and systems that they can plug into. And so that's led to way more freedom that, that, that discipline of time early on in the process now leads to, I very, very rarely work on the weekends and I very rarely work at night because I don't have to anymore. Cause that time was invested, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. You put the systems in place, which that's another thing. It's very important to have the systems, have the people behind you. So you can, you you work that hard for so many years, you can take some time off for yourself. So um, how do you balance all the personalities? I mean, you, I know a lot of your team members, there's a lot of different personalities out there. Some are easygoing, some are difficult, some have their own opinions, some, you know, it's not easy. How do you balance all of it? The, the, the first thing is I take nothing personal. I'm, I'm absolutely unoff an unoffendable person. And I, I think I was born that way. I don't know if I can teach that, but my, my mom had always said like, you know, you came out of the womb, like happy and positive. And, um, I just kind of from the beginning always didn't allow other people to affect my, my, my mindset, like, or, you know, my mood, like if, if like, you just can't bum me out, I'm not gonna allow anybody to bum me out. And so that's a big piece of it is I think if you can remove what people do from affecting you personally like if you do something i perceive as you know offensive to me like i can choose to react to that in a negative manner or i could just say hey jill was raised a different way she has a different outlook on life i have no idea how, if she had a bad day today 
so like and I immediately just forgive you for that like then we can continue to have a positive relationship because you probably didn't mean anything by it right I mean in most cases you didn't and so that's a that's a big part of it is just not removing kind of the emotion and that personal aspect to to relationships and then the second thing I've been re reflecting a lot on recently is and my mom was always a a preacher of this so I got this from her too is unconditional love right like we don't practice enough unconditional love in our business life we do in our family life right our kids dis disappoint us all the time our spouse disappoints us all the time our parents let us down and have been did stuff to us that that maybe messed us up as a kid but we still love them right we don't cut them off from from our lives because of those things where in the business world so often if you drop the ball on one lead I give you as one of my agents and I cut you off and I say, you're terrible, I'm never going to work with you again. Like that is a stupid way to do business when you, you did a great job on the last 10 I gave you. Like everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes things don't work out. And so that's a big piece that I think perpetuates just a healthy culture is like people understand, like they think of me as a kind of a hard, you know, disciplined leader. But at the same time, like I try and practice unconditional love. Like, I mean, if you, if you're malicious and you screw something up, like we're going to have a conversation, but if it's just like an honest mistake or so you overlook something, or, I mean, I'm not going to cut you off from, from life and, 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 and not do business with you anymore. So it's something I've conversation I've been having a lot lately is, is trying to practice unconditional love. And if you, and if, and if people understand that in the business, then they can better understand my intent. Like, cause this is something I'm careful about is I feel like, I want people to succeed so bad that I, that there are people that get um, not offended, but they feel like I put too much pressure on them, right? Or I'm pushing them mm -hmm. too hard. And there's two ways to look at that, right? If, if the agent looks at that as I'm pushing them because because I just want the business to make more money, they're going to have a certain outlook on an opinion on, on on that interaction. Where if they know, but, but if they also, but if they look at it from another point of view, like I'm pushing them just because I love them and their family and I want them to be successful, then they're not going to take it the same way, that negative way that they would have taken it if it was just about money, right, or success of the business. So, um, yeah, so those are the two things. I mean, I think this don't take stuff personal and, and just try and just try and spread the love, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's great because so many leaders, um, well, so many leaders in real estate, especially, they were great salespeople. They have no leadership skills. They never went to school for leadership. They were just very good at selling homes, then all of a sudden people are attracted to them because they want to learn their systems. They want to be a part of that, whatever they're doing. So they've just become leaders. They didn't plan on being leaders. They just become leaders. And they think that leadership is demanding and commanding. When you're showing that when you are in a position of leadership and you do it with love and you push people because you know they're capable of it, not because you're demanding it because you you're getting something out of it you want something out of it for them and their family that's how you attract all of those people so that's how you grow a team that you have grown because people respect that they don't they don't want to be told what to do they want to be led and they want to trust their leader so you're doing a great job thank and you yeah, I just adore you. I adore your family and your team's amazing. And um, I can't wait to see what you're what you're doing in the future. Um, I do have a couple more questions. Yep, yep, yep. So you are now asked being asked to be on stage in front of big groups. 
I mean, people are impressed by you. There are a lot of eyes on you within the company. They're asking you to go to EXPCon and speak in front of large amounts of people. How do you feel about that? I, I love it. I mean, it's um, it's 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 the ultimate kind of thing to be grateful for for me because one of the big tactical reasons we are where we're at. I mean, we talked about all of this other kind of, you know leadership stuff, the love stuff, all of that. But at the end of the day, you have to implement actually good business practices, right? Like you have to actually have some, yeah. <laughs> some substance behind behind all of that. And and we would not be where we're at if I didn't have the opportunity to go to events and listen to smart people who have done it, you know, a, a hundred different ways and take away that stuff and use it and implement it in our business. And so I, I distinctly remember in 2019 going to my first national event i'd never gone to a real estate event prior and just having my mind blown for three days and taking pages and pages of notes of stuff that people were doing and just thinking to myself one day i'm going to do that and i'm going to be able to share what i did with other people and and that day is now come you know it's been a few years but so for me it's just like it's a full circle thing and i just think that it's so important to give back and not um I just put a post out, I think, yesterday, right? The, the, the most successful people in the world are helping other people get what they want, and that gets them what they want, right? So if you view the world that way, and that's definitely the, it, you know, a guiding light for me is that we don't, I mean, you know this, right, amongst the business and the team, like, there are no secrets. There's nothing proprietary. I will tell people exactly everything that we've ever done because I hope that they can duplicate it themselves. And it's not because I'm threatened by them them taking business away from me or competing with me that, that has nothing to do with it. I want them to duplicate what we've done and grow it bigger and better than we ever did. And so that's, that's what that means. I mean, getting those opportunities to speak is, is, is just a recognition that now you're at a place that you can give back and there's, you know, nothing I'm more grateful for. Do you ever get, are you nervous? Do you get nervous? I, I'm, I'm good at talking. So I'm, again, going back to the Marines, that's something I learned was like, as a young leader, you have to get in front of other people and talk to them. And that's something that I was really blessed with in life was a lot of opportunities to be in those positions. I mean, when I was 24 years old, I was working as a, as a governor's representative to, to, to the big island and I would have to go to like these big community events and give proclamations on their behalf and give remarks and stuff like that, which used to freak me out. But so I've been through it so many times that it doesn't really anymore. But what does make me nervous is you're honored with a very short amount of time, right? And and you want to come with just the maximum amount of value. So that's where I, I stress on the preparation of it. Like I've been for the last three weeks, like I mean, every single day I look at the five slides I'm going to present and I make tweaks to it. I change it. And I just asked the staff today, when is the last minute I can make changes? Because if I get a new idea or a new piece of inspiration, or I'm like, I should say it this way, that way. Like I, I spend a lot of time stressing about that. When it comes showtime, it's like I put so much time and effort and thought into it that it's just like it's 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 it, it's not a big deal. But um, I want to make sure that it's as valuable as it can possibly be. So you make sure you're definitely prepared. And that's the biggest yeah. thing about public speaking. I tell people, you know, from an advice standpoint, when they don't like public speaking, is you only don't like it if you don't know what you're saying, right? If you're great at baking cakes and somebody asks you to give a presentation about baking cakes, you're going to do an amazing job because you know what the heck you're doing when it comes to baking cakes. So as long as you put yourself in a position where you only have to publicly speak about things you know that you know what to say, then it's not as bad. So <laughs> you know, I got to give a presentation on on knitting, you know, on on, on crocheting or something. It's going to be a it's going to be a, a mess. So uh -huh. it depends on the 
the topic. When you, um, going back years ago, when you worked for the governor's campaign, you were young at that point, right? That was probably pretty intense having to talk in front of big, big groups like that, I would think. So here's, here's the huge takeaway I got from that, aside from experience, is the, the governor I worked for, I have, I could just tell you an, for an hour about how amazing of a person she was, leader she was, but the, probably the biggest thing that made her successful, which I learned and, and, and took away from that, is she valued potential over experience. And so I was a shining example of that. I was a kid. I, they hired me a year before I even graduated college because they saw potential in what I was doing at the, at the, um, at the college. And this was into a job where normally the average person that had that job before was probably 50 years old, was a political crony for years, was, was you know, this was kind of a reward to, to, to be in this position, but she always valued potential over experience. And they took a chance on like a 24 year old kid that wasn't even out of college yet. And to be their representative to the community. And so that was a, I mean, there was a ton of pressure. I mean, it was, it was a crazy experience, but to this day, that's how I view real estate is I always look for potential over experience. I would rather have a brand new agent that has a ton of potential over an average agent that has 10 years of experience, because I know that that young agent in three or four years will be outperforming that, that 10 year agent three or four times over because they had potential and that potential is harnessed versus experience. So, um, that's a big takeaway is, you know, when you're hiring, I think too often we, we are looking for like the right perfect resume versus just the right character, the right attitude, the right mindset. And you can't really put that stuff on a resume, but that person's probably going to be a much higher performer than the person with a lot of experience. Oh, absolutely. Especially in this industry, it's so much of it is, is personality and mindset. I, I, I always say it's this, this career is 90% mindset. You have to be able to communicate and get people to like you and trust you. And you, the only way you can do that is to be trustworthy and, and authentic and transparent. And you can, re, you can see that in somebody in the first three minutes you talk to them. And, and this is straight up real estate advice for you know team leaders, broker owners that are looking to grow their business is I heard this stat years ago and it blew my mind that five years from now, 80% of the business will be done by somebody who's not in the business today, right? So the traditional, the traditional real estate broker team leader, they, what they're doing is they're recruiting amongst a very small amount of people who are already productive in the industry, right? So they're giving them incentives, they're poaching them from different companies. It's, you know, it's a very ugly business mm -hmm. kind of normally in those circles. And you can either fight over those, you know, that that ten percent of agents who are established, who have a bunch of experience, that are already doing it, and it's almost not going to be profitable because you got to give up so much to get them. That when they come, you you pay them a bonus and you're giving them a crazy split, and you're not really going to make any money off of them. And somebody else is going to steal them from you in, in a year or two and give them a better offer. Where if you focus on new agents with potential and they can grow into the business they're going to become just as successful as that experienced agent in a short amount of time. And, and, and now they're loyal to you and they appreciate all the stuff that you've given them. And now you have a solid business partner for life versus somebody who you poached that is going to get poached again. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a crazy business model for most people. And that's what's driven the, the, the success of the team is that because we've always supported new and young agents coming in, they, it, it, it's it's just fuel for the fire and then they attract new the right new young agents to come in and then they they take their place and yeah so it's it's 
that's what's perpetuated like a lot of quick growth is I'm not fighting over, you know, a small amount of people who everybody's fighting over. I'm looking for the folks that everybody's overlooking and doesn't want. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very smart approach to this business. And I noticed there's a lot of experienced real estate people. They go from company to company to company, always looking. They, they get slow for a season. And then obviously it must be the broker or the company. So they switch and then they switch and they have this scarcity mindset. And that really makes plays such a big part in, in success. I think overall success in everyone's business. Um, if you you know, hold on to every single penny and you're not willing to put it out, it can't flow back in. And um, the newer agents, you can kind of train them and explain to them the concept of, you know, you if you if you if you spend the money, it'll come back. There's there's a return, just like if you spend the time with somebody, it will come back to you. And when you pour into them, now you have another person that's going to pour into somebody else. And it doesn't have to be you pouring into every single person anymore. And that's another thing that grows it exponentially. Right. And then as a leader like you, you have no idea the impact that you're making on not just the person that you've brought in, but who they've brought in and who they've brought in. It all comes back to you, which all comes back to your mom telling you that you were the best as a child. So thank goodness for people like her and great parents like you had. So yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it. And um, I look forward to airing this and I'll put your information down if there's any agents thinking of switching over to a team, uh, somebody that you know really cares about their agents and wa wants to see them grow. I'll put your information down. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Super fun. All right. We'll talk later. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Joe.